Coming into 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1 uh, that we've been studying together, looking at verses 5 to 8 uh, of this chapter. Thinking today of the local church as a witnessing church. We want to think of the character of our witnessing, the content of our witnessing, the challenge of our witnessing, and the contribution of our witnessing. We went to the number one tourist attraction in Wexford when we were down there last week. It's the Hook Lighthouse right down on the southern coast. It is claimed to be the oldest working lighthouse in the whole world, dating back to the 1200s when it was first erected by a famous knight called Marshall. Previous to that, monks had lit fires and maintained fires in that important place as they guided ships into the small river leading on to New Ross, the local port of Wexford. This lighthouse plays an important and crucial role and still today with all the technology, this tangible, visible light shining out across the sea is indispensable for sailors as they approach the southern coasts of Ireland. And this is an image for us of the Christian church and of the Thessalonian church here that we're studying together. A light, a beacon, shedding out or displaying out and putting forth the light of the gospel into the darkness, the danger, bringing warning and direction and welcome to the community around us. And it's that aspect of the local church that we're thinking of this morning as we embark on a week of outreach in our congregation into the town this week. We've been looking at various aspects of the local church which are identified in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We have thought about their pastors, Paul and Timothy and Silas, and how members can relate to different attributes in those pastors. We've thought about their Location, both geographically in Thessalonica and the strategic importance of that city, but also within the triune God. They're in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thought of the diversity within the congregation and within our congregation, grace and peace, Jews and Gentiles brought together in unity and oneness and worship within congregations across the world. And we thought of the key graces that the apostle mentions which mark a believer, a born-again Christian faith and hope and love. And we come to think now perhaps of the work of the church, what this local congregation chosen by God, united to the triune God, pastored by Paul and Timothy and Silas, what they were doing, what they were involved in, and the particular action and behaviour and work of the church that the apostle focuses in, in this chapter one of prayer, is their outreach. In verse number eight, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. And in this week of outreach, we consider these verses and how we can be steered and guided by them. Let's think, first of all, of the character of our witnessing. There, there, there are two aspects to witness, aren't there? Our life 
and our lip. The apostle mentions these. That this local church and, and we here will witness, will convey the message of the gospel by how we behave and what we say. So he he addresses the first aspect of this witnessing in the phrase in verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Their life was a witness. They had turned away from the pagan practices and worship of the gods of Thessalonica and they had become imitators of Paul and of the Lord. A different lifestyle. A gospel-empowered and steered lifestyle. A gospel-transformed lifestyle. Imitators of the Lord. Paul often mentions uh, this theme of imitation throughout the New Testament. Today we consider imitation to be a weakness, don't we? We, we consider it to be, to be something that is fake and unauthentic. The, the Elvis tribute band, the, the guy with the, the shaped hair and the, the purple shoes. He, he's, he's trying to be something that he's not. That imitation we consider to be a weakness. But in the first century, it was a strength. And again and again in the letters of Paul, he he encourages new Christians to be imitators. In 1 Corinthians 4.16, he tells them to imitate their leaders. In Hebrews 6 verse 12, the writer encourages believers to imitate other members. In Ephesians 5 verse 1, the apostle exhorts us to imitate Christ. So here, the life of the Thessalonians is a witness within their world and their community. They are imitators of Paul as he follows the Lord. He has just written in verse 5, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you. And now they're following him and the Lord. That life of imitation was a witness. And that life of imitation would impact others as we spoke to the children in verse 7 so that you became an example of living the Christian life. But not only is the character of our witness by our life, it's also by our lip. Verse number 8, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. Alongside of their godly lifestyle was their words, their speaking, their communication of the gospel. The word sounded forth in verse number eight. Is, uh, the word is the only time it's used uh, within the whole of the Bible. It means to, to make a loud noise. It means to thunder. It means a trumpet blast. It means the loud clapping and cheering of a crowd. And and that's the idea being conveyed here of the the gospel being communicated vocally and and verbally by the congregation in Thessalonica. One commentator explains the idea, the image is that of a sound 
emanating from the Thessalonian Christians and continuing to echo on and on throughout the valleys and hills of Macedonia, Achaia and beyond. In other parts of the New Testament, we read of some preachers who became companions of Paul who were from Thessalonica. Three of them are mentioned in the book of Acts. Aristarchus, Jason and Secundus. They were preachers who who went out from the city of Thessalonica into the valleys and into the towns and villages of that land. By their preaching, they proclaimed the gospel. It sounded out from you. But also the traders, the church members, as they did business in other cities and within their own city, they communicated the gospel to others verbally. So by their life and by their lips, they communicated the gospel. Church buildings are designed uh, to give emphasis to certain things. So within Roman Catholic church buildings, we have the high altar at the front of the building and the pulpit at one side wall within the building. And the emphasis within Roman Catholicism is on the altar and the preaching is set to the side. Within Reformed church buildings like this, the pulpit is central and the communion table is beneath the pulpit for emphasis on the proclamation, the verbal, vocal proclamation of the gospel. But that is not the only way that we communicate the gospel. And I emphasize to all of us the communication of the gospel by our life in this week. Imitators, examples of the Lord Jesus. Most of you are probably really glad that you don't have to give a talk this week in the Holiday Bible Club. That if you're involved in the Bible club this week, you you will be able just to to come along and be involved there without the the added pressure, tension, nervousness, isn't that right, of giving a talk. But don't think in any way that your role cannot be effective. You can communicate the gospel, the grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the power of Jesus, By your life. A Christ-like life models the gospel. A kind word to a child. A welcoming smile. A listening ear. An encouraging word. Communicates grace deep in the heart of your life. Verse 7, the word example is used to, to describe a seal that was pressed into soft wax and leaves an impression. There was the sign, the wording, the insignia on the seal, and it was taken and it was pressed into something that was pliable, that was moldable, that was impressionable. And your life in this week can do just that, that your uprightness, your love, your humility can make an impression on the children in this Bible club. How you treat others within the church, how you treat them, how you give reverence to the name of Jesus will leave an impact 
an impression on the children in our Bible club. The character of our witness by our lip, by our life. Secondly, the content of our witnessing. What is it that we are communicating? What is it that we're saying in this week? And there are two phrases, two parallel phrases in verse number eight. The word of the Lord and your faith in God. The word of the Lord and your faith in God. It is a chaotic structure so that the one expression is explained and added to by the other expression. The word of the Lord and faith in God. The content of our witnessing is not our own ideas, not our own themes, not our own suggestions, not our own advice. But it's the word of the Lord. A phrase which occurs in Paul's writings only twice here and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1. But it's a common phrase in the book of Acts occurring, and I've checked this out, Acts 8, 25, 12, 24, 13, 44, 48, chapter 15, verse 35, 36, and chapter 19, verse 10. The word of the Lord. Phrase which is rooted, of course, in the Old Testament, used over 250 times in the Old Testament. The word of the Lord. But what does it mean? There are two aspects which are included in this phrase, the word of the Lord. One refers to the source of this word. It's the word that comes from the Lord. It comes with authority and finality and truthfulness and faithfulness. It's the word that comes from the Lord. And we receive that word and proclaim that word. Verse 6 describes the Thessalonians receiving the word. And those recipients of the word have now become proclaimers of the word. The word of the Lord is sounding forth from you. That authoritative word from God. But the second idea latent here is that it's a word about the Lord. It's a word about Jesus. The Lord Jesus. But it's coming into this world and becoming man about him taking upon himself that that duties of the law in our place, about him dying on the cross for our salvation and rising again and ruling in heaven. This is the content of our witnessing. It is the word about the Lord. It is the word from the Lord. But the parallel phrase emphasizes the response of the listener. Faith. In God. The word of the Lord is proclaimed. It is set forth by life and by lip. But then there's this response which comes from the listener and has come from the Thessalonians. Your faith in God has gone forth. These two things are in parallel. The word of the Lord sounded forth. Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Their response to that proclaimed message of God. They recognize its authority. They they receive its message. They trust the one of whom they speak. Their faith, their saving faith, their trust in God is the response of the listeners in Thessalonica. And our witnessing, 
It's not just about proclaiming the message, setting out the facts, giving to them the life of Jesus, but it's the desire, it's the prayer, it's the longing, it's the exhortation that those who hear will believe that message, that they will have faith in God. Most of our communication is with a purpose. There's tea and coffee in the hall after church. It's not just factual information. It comes with the added desire that that you'll be able to stay behind uh, after church and and partake of that. The coast in Wexford is made up of wonderful beaches. The, the, The announcement is not just about some facts of that great county, but, but it's an indication that you could go there instead of burning up on the beaches of Italy in 50 degrees centigrade, Celsius. So, our communication is not just delivering the details, but desiring the response of faith in God. This is what the apostle did. When the jailer burst into his cell in Philippi just down the road from Thessalonica and asked, what must I do to be saved? He said to him, this is what you do. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe that message that I've been proclaiming within this city. And we read the jailer believed and all his house. We present the word of the Lord, but we desire the response of faith in God. Thirdly, the challenge of our witnessing. We read in verse 6 that they received the word in much affliction. And they proclaimed the word in much affliction. There will be challenges as we live the Christian life and as we witness for our Lord and Savior. Jesus taught that discipleship involved taking up our cross and following him. And so these new disciples are experiencing affliction. It refers to external oppression, to trouble, to distress, to tribulation. They encountered open hostility to living and spreading their faith in God. Furnish describes it in this word. Their alienation from unbelieving family members and friends. Curtailment of their opportunities to maintain their economic and social status. Constant subjection to harassment and public insults. The challenge of our witnessing. In much affliction... They believed, they lived, they witnessed for Jesus Christ. But countering that affliction from the world was the internal empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The verse goes on, verse 6, with joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not just that they gritted their teeth. It's not just that they got through. It's not just that they survived. But they did so strengthened, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That as they look beyond this life to the glorious return of the Lord Jesus, their hearts had joy even in their affliction. James writes about this in chapter 1. Count it all joy when you meet trials 
of various kinds. First Peter 1 verse 6, rejoice. Though you have experienced various trials. First Peter 4 13, rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's suffering. The character of our, or the, the challenge of our witnessing in much affliction. There is nothing in this life which is worth doing which does not involve cost and challenge, pain and affliction. Greg Wallace has been writing extensively that the food taster about losing four stone, denying himself snacks and takeaways and engaging in a, an intensive exercise regime and the pain and affliction that this has cost him but has resulted in this incredible goal that he was after. As we witness, there will be challenges, there will be costs, but the Holy Spirit will empower us and give us joy. For leaders in the Bible club, there will be the challenges of making decisions, dealing with problems, complaints, criticisms, negativity. For helpers, it will be the challenge of finishing your work and being here for seven o'clock, maintaining enthusiasm for one week, parking those things that you really enjoy doing for one week. For junior helpers, it may be the challenge of overcoming something of your shyness, of meeting new children, of patiently listening to some talkative child. But the Holy Spirit will not only empower us, but give us joy as we serve him. And lastly, the contribution of our witnessing. The apostle says an incredible thing at the end of this paragraph in verse 8, so that we need not say anything. The contribution of our witnessing. There's a role for all of us. There's a work for every one of us here to do in this week. And there's things that you can do that leaders cannot do. Here's the apostle saying about the Thessalonians that they did a work so that he doesn't have to do that work. So that we need not say anything. What's he referring to? Well, some think that he's referring to the news about the conversion of the Thessalonians. That they were able to tell others themselves about the change in their life. They were not ashamed of this. They were vocal in public in acknowledging their turning from paganism to the living God. Or perhaps he's referring to their evangelism. Going out from the strategic city of Thessalonica into the valleys and towns and villages of Macedonia and Achaia with the gospel. And that news of their conversion and their witnessing spreading right across the whole world, he says, so that everywhere... Your faith in God, verse 8, has gone everywhere so that we, not need, we need not say anything. Paul had gone to Athens. Paul had gone to Corinth after this. Paul was now meeting people from Rome, Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth. 
And perhaps in all those cities, Athens, Corinth, and from Rome, he received news of the transformation in the lives of the Thessalonians. And as Paul thinks of this, he says, we don't need to say anything. He can tick off the box of Achaia. I don't need to evangelize there because the Thessalonians have done that. He can tick off the box of Macedonia. I don't need to go to every hamlet, every village, every town because the Thessalonians have done that. So that we need not to say anything with faithfulness, with boldness, with vigor, with enthusiasm. They'd gone right out into the region in which God had placed them with the gospel. Their witnessing was supplementing the more public role of the apostles, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. John Chrysostom, preaching in the fourth century, fifth century, he draws a parallel between the great Macedonian Alexander the Great and this phrase in verse number 8, so that your faith in God has gone everywhere. Alexander the Great went everywhere. He wept, you remember, because there were no more worlds to conquer. And Chrysostom draws this, this parallel. Here's the believers from Thessalonica and their message of the supreme king it's gone everywhere the traders taking it down the Ignatian way the sailors going by boat to other ports carrying the message of the transformation in Thessalonica and such was the effectiveness of it and the widespread nature of it that the apostles say we can move on to other things so that we need not say anything so every one of us then as a contribution to make in this week of outreach, don't we? For some of you, it will be praying. You're older now, not as agile as you used to be. For some of you, you'll be away in business, you'll be away in work, you'll be working night shifts, and you can't be here, you can't be involved. And your role will be to pray. What a role that is. For others, it will be transporting children to the doors of the church. Bringing in the neighbor's children or the the grandchildren and and taking them along and and dropping them off. And you'll do that with faithfulness and joy. For others, it'll not be given the talks, but it'll be the conversations in the car as you travel home. Singing the theme song of the Bible club. Talking in family worship over the catechism question and, and the Bible memory verse. And as you tuck your children into bed at night, pulling out something out of the talk that you enforce into their young minds. There's a role for all of us in this week of outreach and witness and ministry. So be encouraged that you're a witnessing congregation. Chapter 2 to 5, as we've said already, will deal with the problems in Paul's life as he defends his character, his ministry in Thessalonica in chapter 2 and 3, as he deals with the theological and moral issues in the church in chapter 4 and 5. But before he gets to that, he encourages them. He pulls out something that they're doing right, that they're doing well, and he thanks God for it. He mentions it and lingers over it in verses 6 to 8 in his opening chapter and commends them for it. You're a witnessing congregation. We should be encouraged today that we are holding 
this Bible club. That we don't have to have a go team to come from all parts of our denomination to Newton Ards to run this week of outreach. That we can do this ourselves. That we have leaders. That we have volunteers. That we have the freedom. That we have the space to have this Bible club. We should be encouraged that we have this opportunity of witness. But it's not all about patting ourselves on the back, is it? It's all about Jesus. Paul leads us in this chapter to Jesus in the last line. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 